0: On today's show, we have Maddie Taylor, the head of growth at Solana Labs. His focus is bringing developers and entrepreneurs to build impactful projects on Solana. Maddie, thank you for joining us today. And we also have Justin, you all have heard from it in the past. And Maddie, why don't you start by telling us how you joined Solana?
1: Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, happy to jump into how I ended up at Solana Labs. I got into crypto pretty early on just in college, wrote my undergraduate thesis on Bitcoin, kind of explored like proof of work versus proof of stake actually at the time. And then after graduating, uh, joined company Square, it's a big payments company in San Francisco, worked there for a bit, saw all sorts of the issues with the kind of current financial and payment rails and all, all that. Around 2017, 2018, crypto obviously is took off quite a bit in that kind of cycle, and I decided to jump full-time into it. So I joined Xerox, which is an Ethereum-based protocol, it's like decentralized exchange, and aggregator now. So yeah, led marketing there for a few years. And then, yeah, in 2020, uh, joined the Solana Labs team and kind of focused on everything from user acquisition, developer acquisition, just trying to get
0: as many people interested in the protocol and crypto generally. So yeah, happy to talk about it. I appreciate that. And maybe kind of give our listeners some more insight into Solana's origin story, how it kind of started and formed and their initial problem it was trying to solve. Sure. So yeah, I, I mean, the project predates me joining by quite a bit. It started, I want
1: to say, in late 2017. So two of the co-founders, Anatoly Yakovenko Raj Gokul, kind of saw the landscape of how layer one blockchains were being built. At the time, it was obviously primarily like Ethereum, And kind of the first set of use cases were were starting to get demanded. So like DeFi, a little bit of NFTs. And so they looked at the landscape of what was getting built and felt that there was a big gap in how um, you could build a sort of super scalable system that could add a billion concurrent users in the future um, and wouldn't have any issues with fees or waiting for transactions to clear and, and such. And so they... They took a very different architecture approach than what you've seen maybe with ETH2 and some of these other chains like Avalanche, Polkadot, Polygon, etc. So yeah, I think they they raised like a really, really tiny uh, seed round to get started. I think it was like through 500 startups, which is an accelerator in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, really no one was particularly interested in it at the time except a few investors, just because the layer one space at the time was Either people thought, I think, at the time that like Ethereum was kind of the runaway, or they just like had invested in a few competitors, but like there were so many L1s coming out at the time that it kind of got lost in the shuffle. I had heard about it in 2018 or so, and I, I kind of saw some of the benchmark stats that they quoted in the in the white paper, and it was like 65,000 transactions per second, and I was like, yeah, "Give me a break, that's uh, not gonna work." And so. I kind of disregarded it, to be honest, for a few years. And then they actually got to mainnet in uh, 2020, and it worked. And beyond that, not only did it work, but seemed like kind of a small group of, of validators were getting really, really excited. And sort of a small community was starting to form around the project, which is really what you want to see, right? Because like the best tech doesn't always win. It's just like, you have to have like, a go-to-market, you have to get a community you know, buy-in, you have to kind of start that flywheel. And so... That's when I started to get really excited about it and join the team. So, yeah, hopefully that's that's helpful.
2: So, you mentioned there's like a lot of excitement around Solana, and I certainly get that vibe. There's definitely like Solana vibes in the community, (laughs) you know, especially around the color, the purple and blue. As you can see, I'm rocking right now. How would you describe the energy behind Solana and the vibes you're seeing in the community?
1: Yeah, no, people are super excited. I think a good example of this is. We were planning in like early kind of 2021 to have like our first like in person conference, and we were like, oh, it'd be great, you know, to have 100, 200 people show up um, at the end of the year. We were going to plan it in Lisbon, and then throughout the course of last year, leading up until the end of the year, when, when we had this this conference breakpoint, we were just like stunned to see that like everyone's flights were just full of people that were there to go to this conference, and like I think we had a max capacity of like something like 2,500, and like 10,000 people actually like showed up. And so like the whole city was just like crazy about Solana. And like, I think at that point, for me personally, it, just, it went from something that I knew was kind of becoming a big thing online to actually like meeting people in person. I was like, wow, this is actually for real. And like meeting a lot of the developers that are like building on it and seeing how legit they were. And so, yeah, I think ever since then, there is like the momentum actually hasn't stopped. Even with the price of tokens going down quite a bit over the last six months, we haven't actually seen much of a dip in things like all-time active addresses, for instance, like that's reaching all-time highs every single week. And so like the growth of actually the usage of the network is growing a lot. And so I think there's just so
0: much excitement in the community around that, which is awesome to see. So obviously, as people are underwriting these projects, and you mentioned developers, right, as one usually key metric to the success of a project, you know, what is it about Solana that is attracting more developers and is making it that uniqueness?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of just obvious ones that you kind of hear a lot, which is just like super low fees, you know, less than a cent per transaction, super fast, you know, and, and the kind of the downstream, I guess, like user experience you get from those. Like it feels like you're using kind of like the iPhone for the first time. That's something we hear a lot is like it's kind of that version for Web3. So like you get that feedback really quickly and it feels sort of like a Web2 app. The other big thing that I think differentiates Solana right now is just like this notion of composability. Do you guys know about how that functions or would it be helpful to to recap what that means?
2: Yeah, it would be great if you could uh, explain that to the listeners.
1: Yeah. So composability is basically just like just by the nature of like having open source software. If someone builds like a primitive or you know a piece of software, other developers can use that piece of software without having to rebuild that system. And so it kind of compounds over time, right? And you can create kind of like seamless experiences. Where you're kind of like integrating with a bunch of different smart contracts at once and it kind of all just like seamlessly works atomically in an app for a developer and so one thing that solana decided from the start and i think the community has kind of run with and maintained is that like there needs to be one single like global state um, that cannot be broken up otherwise that affects composability so if you look at things like ethereum and how that, like the scaling roadmap is working with L2s, like rollups, and then starting later on. The basic idea is that you break up state into like many different sort of like quasi blockchains and like sync it with a main beacon chain. But that kind of hinders things like composability that makes the rapid iteration of like new projects a lot easier. And so I think that's something really, really core that we hear a lot, especially from like DeFi and NFT users, um, that they really need that like composability that Solana offers. So that's something that. I'm personally really
0: excited about. Well, how is it that Solana is able to achieve that where Ethereum is not able to? I think it's an insane achievement
1: that like Ethereum was started kind of in the heels of Bitcoin, right? Where there were very limited scripting language on Bitcoin and Ethereum kind of like created Solidity and like the first production smart contracts. And that's like a huge achievement going from Bitcoin to that. And I think there's no way kind of Vitalik and the core development team at that point could have figured out all the intricacies of like how to build a scalable blockchain when they were just trying to build like sort of like a proof of concept to see if this thing could even work and get demand. And so I think just from the start, there were some ideas about like, okay, wow, people actually care about this. We see developers like building applications and smart contracts. So like how do we scale it? And I think there was some path dependence there where they're like, okay, well how does like a normal database like you know, scale well, they use like sharding. And I think, unfortunately, there was a ton of research and development that needed to happen to figure out well, how do you get from where Ethereum is today to like actually deploying sharding and getting a lot more scalability in the system. And I think in the interim, these sort of like roll-ups and all sorts of different types of L2 side chains. there's a whole laundry list of them kind of like trying to fill the gap while things like sharding were trying to get deployed. And so I, I think... There, there's just like a lot of path dependence, I would say, in Ethereum, while it's a lot easier for in the case of like Solana, whereas like it was starting fresh, you're not trying to build the airplane while it's mid flight. And so I think Anatoly like worked for many years and along with a lot of the other co-founders at Qualcomm building kind of like the first wireless networks. And so they had some like really good insights from the get go about like, how those like first wireless networks scaled to, you know, add like billions of phones around the world. To actually apply some of those principles to kind of like blockchain networks, and I think a lot of those are kind of what's made it possible for Solana kind of to maintain this like single global state that is composable.
2: So my understanding of one of the ways that Solana is scaling is that they've made the the node requirements higher than some of these other chains like like Ethereum. And one common complaint we hear from Ethereum proponents is that this really limits users running nodes, and therefore Solana is not decentralized. So what would your response be to Ethereum people that are saying things like that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a valid concern. And I think it's like, if these systems aren't decentralized, like what what are we doing in the first place? Right. And so the question is like, what does decentralized mean? And like, what is like the minimum viable amount of decentralization that matters in these systems? Because I think things like Bitcoin, I think a lot of the view in like the Ethereum community is around coming from Bitcoin, which is like everyone should be able to verify, everyone should be able to run their own node. This is like what's really core to this system, and I think that's actually fine for Bitcoin. Like it is going after a very very big goal, like non-sovereign store of value monetary system of the world that needs to be like ultra ultra secure, and I think. Ethereum has kind of tried to follow that model to a certain extent with how they're rolling out and what, like, what they're optimizing for in like ETH2. The problem is, from my perspective, is that like I think there's a certain level of decentralization that you need to get to to be like you know censorship resistant, which is what the end goal is, right, for all of these systems. But any incremental decentralization after that is kind of worthless. It, do- it doesn't actually matter that much. And so I think with Solana yes, you don't have as many nodes running as you see in like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But I think if you can get to something like 10 to 20 to 30 to 50,000 or something validators that actually have economic weight in the system, adding another validator is actually not going to, it's not going to make it that much difference. And like your grandma's not going to run her own node and like verify transactions in the future. And so I think the quote that I think Anatoly I've heard is like, do you want to like, run the network with like 100,000 chickens or like 10,000 horses. And so I think the analogy kind of means like the hardware requirements it will be to run a validator will be higher than others. Like it's not going to be a Raspberry Pi that you can spend $15 on, but it's not going to be so outlandishly expensive that you won't get to those like, you know, 30, 40,000 validators maybe over the long term. And it could be, could be much less than that. Maybe, that maybe even that's too much. So I think that's kind of the philosophy. And I think that's why a lot of people that are kind of like Hardcore OGs like sometimes like think that Solana is not decentralized. I will say this also is that actually like the way that we measure decentralization at like the network level is called the Nakamoto coefficient, which is basically like it doesn't matter actually how many like nodes are in the system. What really matters is like you know that that matters in terms of like you want a lot of replicas of the chain, which is valuable. But what's really important is having like. The validators that are actually confirming transactions on the network, and so I think on Solana today it's like twenty-five. But if you look at ETH two, it's like two. You know, it's like Lido and like Coinbase is like are the two huge validators that like take up like fifty percent of the network. And so even on that metric, I think actually Solana is like getting pretty decentralized in compared to these other other networks. So I think that's important to keep in mind.
0: From a non-technical standpoint, you know, and probably for the people that have been investing the last five years or at least coming out of the seventeen eighteen ICO boom with all the TPS type marketing gimmicks, right? Just understanding how the amount of transactions that occur on a daily basis across the whole entire world, like how do you see these different blockchains service different sectors or will they go after like, you know, the financial sector or like NFT and assets and this one might go after healthcare. I just can't imagine how one blockchain is going to service so many transactions across the world. And how do you maybe see that play out over the next five or 10 years? I certainly don't know how it's going to play out in like (laughs) a $50
1: trillion question. But uh, I will say like today I'm I'm somewhat of a like a a multi-chainer, right? Like I don't think that like Solana is like the one chain to rule them all or anything like that. When it comes to things like, hey, if you need composability, if you need like really cheap, fast transactions. And so that's like financial use cases, some of the NFT use cases. I think Solana is like a great fit and for like some games. But let's say you have like a game that like you don't actually need composability. You can just like keep in your own little ecosystem. You don't actually want any assets to leave that ecosystem and kind of keep it housed. I don't think like the roll-up model or the avalanche like subnet model is actually like a bad way to go, right? And maybe those systems are because they're a little bit more self-contained within these subnets or roll-ups or whatever, or shards, use cases like that could find a good like system for their infrastructure. But I mean, right now, I mean, we're still just like an inning two or three where I think like sort of the landscape of L1s have been explored and all these L1s are actually growing like a lot. We don't see, like when we run hackathons, for instance, like it's not that we're like seeing a ton of ETH developers or a ton of like avalanche developers come over and like build on Solana. It's all, it's like it's like 75% net new people who've never built on any blockchain. And so I, I would imagine it's similar for these other ecosystems as well, where like we're not really cannibalizing each other at this point. It's like just growing the overall pie. So yeah, I think that's where we're at today.
0: So when you guys like are doing incentives or grants, like is there any specific projects or sectors you guys are going after right now to bring them on board? So so we kind of like two separate tracks for funding, I would say. I would say there's the
1: sort of like traditional grants, like non-dilutive. That's for projects that like have some sort of like open source solution that affects a lot of different projects. Like it's some sort of tooling or network infrastructure or something along that lines that like really would be beneficial to a lot of different ecosystem projects, right? And then we have also like under Solana Labs, there's a there's an arm called Solana Ventures. This is like a lot more traditional VC where they take a dilutive stake in in a project and they do a fair amount of investing out of that entity. So those are kind of the two two paths. And I would say a lot of the types of things that we're funding today are games. Like I think there's a huge amount of, you know unfortunately, you don't see a lot of them yet because it takes like two or three years to actually create a good game. So those things are kind of going to be in development for a while. But I think that's like a huge area of growth that we see in terms of like funding still obviously doubling down on things like DeFi, NFTs has a lot of different types of use cases. And then there's just like a a whole long list of like Web3 use cases that like, I don't don't know how you would fit it into any category. It's just kind of like something completely new and novel. So yeah, across the board. That's awesome. So what are some of your favorite apps that are live on Solana right now? Let's see, favorite apps. I guess I'll go with like phantom to start. I think the reason I say that is just like praise to the MetaMask team for like being able to get a lot of people into the funnel. But like, honestly, from my perspective, it was not a good user experience. And so like getting people into to have their first like non-custodial wallet. And so like, I think phantom in pretty short order, like really utilized like the ability of like low fees and like fast transactions to like create a really good downstream user experience for people on board for their like first non-custodial wallet. And so like, I think that that's where a lot of people start is just like with Phantom. And they've added like a lot of interesting features just from like, Hey, you can stake your tokens this interface. There's like a swapping mechanism going through like this aggregator called Jupiter within there. And so like, I think they're doing a great job on that front. Obviously a big thing that was like pretty surprising to me going into 2021 is just like NFTs took off in a way that I didn't expect. And so like, Folks like Magic Eden, which is a pretty large NFT marketplace, I think they actually surpassed OpenSea just in terms of like number of transactions and sales, pretty recently. So they're they're growing very quickly. And I think the the big one that's like I don't really have like any super strong opinions about like how sustainable it can be long term, but the team is really solid. Is Stephen. I don't know if, you, if you've heard of this like Nike Run decentralized like Nike Run Club type thing with NFTs. What I think is interesting about that... So I think this is the most popular dApp in, in crypto by, by a wide margin. Oh, wow. Uh, I think they're racking up like 500 to 750,000 daily users, something like that um, at the peak. And so what's interesting about Stepin, from my perspective, is like, it's like a fun little game. And, you know, they needed some like financial services to get off the ground with their app, right? And so like... They decided to go like the DeFi route rather than going to like a traditional financial institution or integrating with like some centralized exchange for their token swaps and app and stuff like that and like their NFT purchases and so it's interesting that they went to this protocol called Orca which is like kind of similar to maybe like Uniswap um, it's like an AMM protocol and it's interesting that they went there first and then Orca like took off during that time period where they were integrated and so like. I think a lot of people are kind of concerned about DeFi. It's like, where's the growth going to come from? Like, financial institutions don't seem that interested in these things. There's, a lot, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations. You need to know your counterparty. All sorts of issues. But I actually believe that, like, they don't actually need to worry about the traditional financial institution. You just need a lot of step ins, and you will grow way faster than the traditional financial industry without ever having to touch trad 5 big players, right? Um, and so I think. What we'll see with like DeFi, and I think it kind of exemplified by the step and Orca integration is like just this long tail of games and like Web3 apps that people start to love. And they just like plug into the DeFi ecosystem as their financial services base. And so that's like something that's like super exciting to me
0: right now. Well, I guess on the uh, DeFi aspect, right? A lot of people may have been commenting lately that some of the real, real yield beyond inflationary rewards, uh, you know, might come from real world assets or existing financial you know, instruments. How do we kind of bring them on chain and how do you see that being integrated in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like I think blockchains work really, really well for digitally native
1: Assets. And so that's again like why I'm excited about things like, oh, there's like native tokens from Stepin that people like to use. Or there's like native NFTs on platforms like Magic Eden. And so it's like digitally native, and you don't really have to deal with like the meat space, like financial contracts and legal contracts that go along with like real estate and you know stock options and like all sorts of things like that. Right. I do obviously think like what matters is like valuable assets in the world. And right now it's like real estate, stocks, bonds to some extent, and like how do you move those on-chain? I think that's going to be really, really tough to do for a lot of regulatory reasons in the short term. I think what's going to happen is like, these like, digitally native assets will grow so much so quickly and they're going to be in DeFi that like, I think traditional financial you know, institutions will just be forced to start like, issuing their assets on chain. But I think it's going to take some time
0: probably. So that's, that's kind of how I see it play out, to be honest. And what is some time? Right. Realistic. Everyone in crypto is like it doesn't go up 10x tomorrow. They, they feel like they lost, right? When tech could take 10 to 20 years. So how do you see time frames play out here from you know the development side, but also the asset side?
1: That's a great question. And it's it's really tough to project out. But here's what I'll say. I think the tipping point will be when there are more people. And maybe this is true around the world, but I think I'm just talking about from like a US perspective, like. There are more people in the US that have bought crypto assets than equities. And I don't think we're there yet. I think it's like, I want to say like, I I could be completely off on this, but I think the last time I read this, it was like 40% of Americans have bought a stock at one point and like something like 20% or something have bought crypto at one point. And if that flips, and if you see the volumes flip on like, you know, exchanges, especially like DEXs, I think that could catapult it pretty quickly. And I would imagine that happens within the next... Five to seven years
0: now do you think that's uh the cause of most people in the us typically just hand their money over to money managers and in that case do you think some of these DAOs or you know money managers on chain will be a yeah, thing in the future as people may look to source these people to manage their capital i think there's something to be said for so my mo- so my mom's a financial advisor
1: and so i don't i don't want to speak super bad about the yeah. <laughs> whole financial you know wealth management industry. I do think, you know, a subgroup of people, usually a little older people, like to call up someone, they like to talk to someone, they want the reassurance uh, from that human-to-human connection. But I think that's trending for younger generations that they're going to be much, much less likely to do that and much more likely to do it all online and maybe through like what we think of as like machines, essentially, which are complex like smart contracts that are executing financial strategies that you know, have varying levels of risk, but it's, it's kind of people can choose what level of risk they want to take. And so I think just over the long term, given how people are plugged into the internet, especially younger generations, I think it's kind of inevitable that it's going to be primarily through non-human, like calling up your, your broker to go buy a stock.
2: So I'm sure most of our listeners heard the, the big announcement from Solana recently, which was the the Solana phone. So I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about the vision behind the Solana phone and, and, and what we can expect to, to come out of that project.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got a quite a diversity of views when we announced that. But I think generally, like people were pretty excited about it. I think that phone, from my perspective, is obviously like somewhat of a moonshot project, right? But from my perspective, it solves a huge, huge, huge problem that's hindering crypto adoption like globally and for it to go mainstream. And that is one, like the Google Play and Apple App Store take a quite a big, big cut, something like 15 to 30% of in-app like revenues. And they also very strictly restrict what types of functionality you can have in your crypto app. And then also like the software doesn't really allow for this like seamless interaction that we get with like websites through MetaMask or Phantom, right? It doesn't provide that same level of UX flow within app stores. Or, or within the, like the OS. And so I think there was just an obvious gap in the market of like, one, solving that problem. Like basically allowing any developer to you know release their phone, to not take a cut of that, and to like get better distribution that they were getting on like the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. The second big thing is that like obviously key management is a huge onboarding issue. Like you have to do all sorts of things and remember your seed phrase and stuff like that. And so I think one of the features of of the phone is that like, there's going to be like a secure enclave that like embeds the seed phrase natively on on the hardware. And so I think just building out a crypto native phone is obviously not going to, your average iPhone user isn't going to care, but like, you know, there's 15 to 20 million, like monthly active, non-custodial crypto users, those people are fair game though. If we can kind of go after that very crypto power user market, at worst, I think it'll force, you know, the hand of like Apple and like Google to like go look at these crypto native features a little bit more and like look into it. And if they don't, I think, I think they're in trouble because I think crypto is definitely the future. And I think these apps natively will, will grow very, very quickly.
2: Yeah. I think that's going to be the real key there is forcing Apple to do something because, uh, I'm an Apple user myself and I got to say, it would be a tough sell for me to switch over to, to an Android at this point. But I don't know if this Solana phone is good enough, You know, maybe, maybe I can do that and get my, my step in points every day with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of great UX that can come out of this and we'll, we'll see how much better the UX provides. But for crypto power users, I think it's going to be interesting at minimum.
2: Do you know if the Solana phone is going to support other blockchains or is this something that is exclusive to Solana?
1: No, so I think this is also something that we're excited about is like, it's not just like the phone. We also built this whole operating system layer called SMS that any chain can like plug into that and any sort of like hardware can plug into that. And so actually like pretty quickly after we released the phone, there were some people that were like, hey, let's get Bitcoin on this. Let's get Ethereum on this. Like, let's start integrating. And so like that, that would be great from my perspective because then I think one thing that's interesting about Solana versus like other chains is like, you know, a side-by-side comparison. So anytime that like you can get all the chains in once and like people can try out these various UX flows and see how these chains work firsthand, I think that's a good thing for Solana. In addition to just like helping all these chains, like I'm not a Solana maximalist. I think it's great if like Ethereum and Bitcoin, you know, build out implementations too and help their
0: users. So it'd be great. Currently, how many developers are driving the success of Solana right now?
1: That's a great question, and it's a tough question to answer because unlike Web two, and this makes my job particularly difficult, is that like when you're like working for like a Web two app, you know exactly like who signed up, when they signed up, how much they deposited into their account, how often they use that app. The data is all there, and it's all identified by user, right? And you have their contact information, their email, their phone number, all this stuff. With a layer one blockchain, since it's open, just like a open source code repo, right? There's no signup process, right? Like, and so we try to like obviously do things like scrape GitHub, check how many like open source developers have interacted with the code base and like things like that. But like you don't have to open source. You can have a closed source implementation. And so it's it's actually really tough to say how many exact developers or projects are building on Solana. We do, do things like you know, hacker houses, which are in-person events, and then hackathons, um, which are online events. And I think. That trajectory has gone up quite a bit, where I think there were there were about seven thousand participants in our last hackathon. we just started one today or yesterday, and there's already about three thousand. So going up into the right. so that's that's the best i can I can say at this point. It's just the nature of open source.
0: How does Solana generate revenue and how does it choose how to pay out developers and how is that sustainable over the long term?
1: One interesting thing about crypto, right, is that it's a way to monetize open source software when there really wasn't a way to do that before, right? Like all those folks, they kind of made it on their own time as volunteers and like didn't really get paid. And obviously there were like businesses built around it eventually, but like directly getting compensated for the usage of your open source protocol was not a thing before crypto. And so, the you know, Solana is not any different, right, than Ethereum or even Bitcoin where there's the native token soul. And the idea is that like, as the network grows, as there's more demand for renting space in the network, is there more demand for using Sol for like transaction fees and a you know host of other things? The network of you know will, will grow. I'm not legally allowed to say you know like oh the token is going to grow too. I, I have no idea, but like I think that's kind of the idea. So we're not necessarily like a traditional like revenue generating business. So we're we're much more of like this decentralized open source community kind of building around this open source protocol that is known as Solana, and so that's. That's how I would describe it.
2: So I'm wondering if you've had any conversations with Ethereum developers who have come over to Solana and what their experience making that transition was.
1: Yeah, we do see a fair amount of Ethereum developers come over and try their hand at building you know, smart contracts on Solana. It's very different. One is that like Ethereum developers usually know Solidity. They're working with the Ethereum virtual machine. And that's very different than Solana's virtual machine and Rust. And, and all, a lot of like the documentation and developer tooling and, and all of this stuff uh, that goes around it is, is very different. I think you know, initially it was like a lot harder to build an app on Solana. But over the last couple of years, it's become pretty seamless just as like a lot of the docs and you know, things like Anchor got deployed where it makes it very easy to actually deploy an app. To the point where, like in like hackathons, like initially, like we saw like really, really early stage like proofs of concepts that people could build over like the six week time frame of the event, and now we're seeing like pretty full form like businesses and like fully built products by the end of the six weeks. So, I think obviously Rust is still kind of a hurdle that some people have issues with at least initially, but I think overall people have had a good experience, and so yeah, I think I think it's important to know.
2: So, what do you think is is the next big thing for Solana, and are we going to get a Solana summer?
1: I mean, uh, active wallets on the network are at all time highs. We're seeing tons of activity in our you know hackathon, way more developers than previously. I you know that's Solana summer in my mind. It's always been about like what's the vibe of like having fun, building awesome stuff that's going to change the world, and I think that's at an all time high right now this summer. And so we're. We're really excited about what we're seeing at a fundamental level in our ecosystem. And
0: yeah, so I would say it's it's on. Beyond Ethan's soul, who do you see as maybe the next one or two competitors coming up?
1: I don't want to use the word competitor because I think <laughs> at this point, like it's still everyone's just trying to grow the pie, right? Like I don't think we're like taking market share from Ethereum necessarily directly. We're all just trying to get more people interested in crypto and building awesome projects. Outside of Ethereum and Solana, I guess I'll just like table Bitcoin. I'm a huge fan of Bitcoin, but for very different reasons. It's going after a very, very specific use case that I'm, even though it's gone down quite a bit over the last few months, I think it's like fundamentals of why it exists is even more important today than than when it started. So obviously very excited about Bitcoin. Smart contract chains. I'm curious to see like how, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of like a couple of these teams that kind of got spun out from the DM Libra project. I think there's one called um, Mist and Labs, and then maybe Aptos is another one. They're building some pretty interesting tech, and we'll see how that works when it gets deployed. So I'll, I'll be watching that, but that's about it.
2: What would you say is the best place for people to, to learn about Solana? It's
1: a good question. Um, it's a good question just because there's so much noise in crypto (laughs) that like it's hard to hard to filter out the noise but i would say you know if you want to learn about solana solana.com at solana on twitter twitter is the epicenter of like crypto information in the world right now i've spent way too much time on twitter but it's where i learn the most and so i would say you know follow our twitter account if you're a developer check out our docs on the website and if you want to like take a dip into this and like you know, start your crypto journey, join like a hackathon because that's a really good way to like kick off, you know, a project idea and like raise some seed funding and get off and running.
0: Great. All right. Well, Maddie, I appreciate uh, taking the time out today and thank you for joining us.
1: Of course. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.